Hey guys, thanks for tuning into this episode with our guest, Patrick Dansel. Before we start, can you please let everyone know who you are, where you're from, and what's going on in your life? Once again, my name is Patrick Dansel. I'm from Silicon Valley, the Bay Area, San Jose to be exact. I'm a music producer and an aspiring full stack engineer, software engineer. I enjoy traveling, photography, searching for the best fried chicken, and I love learning. Hopefully, I'm able to build something impactful that will help me give back to the community uh, locally and also in the Philippines. I think creating things and being a positive impact definitely helps everyone. So you and I met a long time ago when I first started to learn how to DJ and would go visit your brother, Alan. Fast forward to a few years after that, we reunited when we all moved in LA. And after I finished school, you had mentioned that, hey, you, you should live with us. And we started to live with a bunch of roommates, about seven, eight people in the house. That was a pretty cool experience. So how'd you get into music? And tell us your story and how that journey started i got into music a while ago like elementary so my sister used to date like a bunch of teachers back in the day so like she would take me out and have me hang out with them and i would just sit there in their garage and watch them mix so like just watching that like i was exposed to like djing and music and eventually i wanted to become a dj of course this was like in elementary school so i didn't have any money so just had to wait until after high school when i got a job finally i was able to get my own equipment and then start djing from there. But DJing wasn't my thing. I liked music so much that I wanted to create music. The next step from DJing was to become a music producer. Got it. And tell us your experience through that whole, I guess, evolution, transitioning from a DJ and becoming a producer. Walk us through that journey. Again, like with DJing, it's cool because you get to control like the crowd with music. But the thing was, I was always like nervous, like mixing in front of people because I was scared that I would mess up. So from there, what I would, I was just like, man, I just need to make the beats because it was just too nerve wracking for me. So again, I went ahead and bought like, oh, actually I didn't buy, I met a DJ by the name of DJ IQ, who had a music program called Fruity Loops that he introduced me to. And it was actually a pirated version. But yeah, so he gave me a copy of that and I just started learning how to make beats from there. So from there, you start getting exposed to making beats with Fruity Loops. How that transition to buying additional equipment, um, having your own setup, and eventually having your own studio. Walk us through that. There was like other producers right that weren't into making music with software they were using hardware like mpcs asrs sp 1200s there was a, a bunch of local producers around the way and i would chill with them and just watch them uh, make beats on their setup so from there i was like man i need to get mpc or asr because i want my beats to sound like that so i would pick that up also i met renson mateo one of my music mentors and he was into hardware so he got me into like pro tools there's just a bunch of stuff that he got me into he he turned me into like a gear slut so i would just buy equipment just to have the latest and greatest because i thought i always needed it to make my beat sound better tell us your whole transition from the bay area to socal what made you make that change and what was going on in socal well again it was through renson mateo and he kind of extended his hand and invited me over to socal to like collaborate and work on music together he 
he's such a gifted and talented uh, mix engineer that I had to go down there and just take that chance. Like LA was like the spot to be when in the early 2000s when it came to like making music, you wanted to be in the epicenter of music because LA was like the spot to be. Now it's like Atlanta. Like in the early 90s, there was New York, but now, well, early 2000s, it became LA. And then now it's like Atlanta's like the, the epicenter of, of, of hip hop. What were those experiences like in LA? I did internships at some of the major studios like Enterprise. The other studio was called Embassy. I was working part-time at a after-school program in South Central LA for at-risk youth. So I would do, I would work there from like 1 to like 7 p.m. And then from 7 p.m. to 4 a.m. I was doing my internship at the studio. And I would say even though it was like an internship, those were like probably the best lessons learned when it came to just how to network yourself with music and watching and learning from the other producers who would book the studio. From that experience through your whole internship and working at a few different studios, how that spark an interest with, you know, starting your own and having to build something with Ren and some other individuals? Being in that environment made me want to open up a recording studio with Ren. So we own a recording studio now here in the Bay Area called Head Nod Studios. But prior to that, we've owned like three other studios. The first one was called Entourage, which was located in San Jose. Then we had another one called Blue Magic in Milpitas. We opened one with you in, was it, it was Glendale, right? It was Glendale, yep. It, it's different working on music at home or in your room compared to being in like the studio environment. So that was like one of the reasons why we wanted to open up a studio just so we could be in that environment. It's totally a different vibe and different feel when creating beats. I mean, I love making music at home, but I can't turn the music up as loud as I want when your own recording studio, you get to just turn it up and just vibe out. And I'm sure being in a completely different environment from where you live allows you to focus and not be easily distracted by people or other things going on at home. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. One thing is though, is for me, when it comes to like creating beats, like I need to be either with people that are super creative or have to be completely alone. It's weird. Like I like to experiment a lot when I make beats. It might sound like trash or garbage to other people if they're just sitting in there. You know, there's only a few people that I like working with when it comes to making beats. And that's you. The other person is Ren. And then there's another producer by the name of High Def. He's super talented. Like he could play any freaking instrument. He almost has perfect pitch. He has relative pitch. So it's like whenever I'm making something or working on a beat, he's able to add to it and just make it sound beautiful. To touch on that, the whole comfort level with other artists around you as you go through your creative process. Why do you think artists feel like they can only create alone? or create with a select few? Is it because of um, the feeling of no judgment? You know, like, I feel like a lot of creative individuals are introverts. Being introverted, like, you just want to be able to create alone, you know? Or, again, like, with people that you're comfortable with. It's weird, like, a bunch of rappers, you know, other, like, singers will be like, hey, let's work on something from scratch. I don't know about that. Um, (laughs) I'm not, like, comfortable. I don't know you like that. (laughs) So what you're saying is it takes a lot of time to be truly comfortable and completely open with your creative process with someone. Correct. That's for me. I know it's different for other people. But again, for me, that's the way I work. Now, you mentioned that you've opened several studios. And sometimes when you open several studios, there are questions why one was open, why it was closed, why open up another one. Walk us through that whole experience and the 
some of the lessons learned at each stage of opening a studio? What it was is like the first studio, it wasn't as lucrative as I thought it was going to be, right? With that, like after a year, I decided to pull out and not be a part of the studio anymore. For some reason, I wanted to open up another studio like right after it. So we opened up another studio and then a year goes by. And again, it wasn't as lucrative as I thought it was going to be. So I ended up getting into the fashion industry. Like I opened up a streetwear boutique uh, with my brother and another business partner of ours. And again, I was in it for about a year. I didn't see it being lucrative. So I pulled out of that and I opened up another studio. First year went by, wasn't lucrative, but I was like, hey, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep going. Second year goes by, still not lucrative, but I was like, I got to keep going. Can't quit on this. Third year goes by. Again, it's not making as much money as I thought it would. And then fourth year, for some reason, it starts taking off. One of the lessons I learned is, hey, don't quit on something after a year. A year is not enough time for like, you know, to let it grow. I mean, it's just treat it as your baby and just let it grow. At each stage of opening different studios, were there anything you made in terms of incremental changes that would address some of the problems that you saw? Yeah, for sure. There's one, like the first studio, we had a little, uh, I would say too many people involved. Um, We had over like five owners. So like it was just, we had like different ideas of what we wanted to do with the studio and how to promote it, how to market it. That was tough. Same thing with the second studio. It was the same. We had actually more people involved. We had like eight people involved in the studio. It was even worse. And I don't know why I didn't learn my lesson from the first one. The third one, when we opened in LA, I think was difficult was I was here in the Bay Area and studio was in LA. So I think you have to be there with your business partners. It was only like, what, three of us. It was me, you, and Renson. Of course, with me being in the Bay Area, I was never able to. I, I think I only went there like once. Yeah, like you got to be active too. You have to be present at the studio in order for it to be successful. That's what I've learned like with Head Not Studios. It started becoming profitable or lucrative when I was spending more time in there. Elaborate on that. It's a little bit of everything that you mentioned. Um, me and Renson would be in there and we would just be, you know, on social media, just reaching out to people saying, hey, you know, we're a recording studio. We offer mixing and mastering and just reaching out to people. So spending a lot of time, at least dedicating a couple hours a day in the studio just to reaching out to people, marketing, promoting on social media. The other thing is too, is we would have interns or we had an intern and we would let that person run the session um, and we would just leave, you know, like just having them by themselves running the session again, like without us being there to, you know, like encourage or develop relationships with the artists that come in. I guess they felt like it was just we were there to record them and just take their money, you know, like we weren't really building a relationship with the artists. I actually run a lot of the sessions and Renson runs a lot of the sessions himself, all about developing the relationship. And then when you develop the relationship with the artist, then they, you know, continue to come back. I think that's key to relationship building is number one, regardless of what you have at your studio, whether you have the best equipment or you have the best group of people. If you don't have the relationship, I think none of that moves the needle and you can't really progress things forward. Do you agree? Yeah, completely. One. 
100%. There will be sessions where, you know, like they book with, uh, the artist will book with Renson and I'll just pop in into the studio and just introduce myself and hang out kind of like get a feeling of the artist, see what they like, see what they don't like, you know, that way, like we know how to cater to them the next time they come in. And that's important too, because we can all make certain assumptions about what the artist may want, but it's truly different to be in that environment with them and observing and seeing how they respond to certain things. Right, right. Yeah, for sure. You spent many years in the music industry and you've always loved creating. And then at some point in your career, you started going down, you know, the technical path and truly being um, passionate about technology. Walk us through that experience. With technology, I was always like a tech nerd, I guess, when it came to gadgets. Like I always wanted like the latest and greatest. I think it really started when a buddy of mine asked me to come to work for him at a startup company in in Palo Alto um, doing some test QA test engineer work so that's when I was like exposed to like technology and like code I was testing this dash cam and you know what we were doing is looking for bugs and making sure that things were working properly in the background like I would see code and I would see a bunch of uh, error messages and stuff looking at that code look like hieroglyphics to me you know like what does this crap mean from there i decided that i wanted to learn how to code because i wanted to learn and understand what all that stuff meant i enrolled into a coding boot camp here in san jose from there i got to really dive deep into coding and finally like trying to learn and understand like what all that code meant Joining that boot camp, what was that experience like for someone that hasn't been involved in that sort of world? Uh, to be honest, it was super stressful and super overwhelming. I remember my third day into it, like I really wanted to like quit and give up. But I called you, asked for your advice. And you said, you know, hey, dude, it's like it's going to be hard, but you just got to power through it. You said this, you said something about like it might be stressful, but it's good stress because at, at the end of it like you know it'll be all worth it i took your words of advice and like i stuck with it and like i'm truly glad that i did again it goes back to the lesson learned about like not giving up on something just like one year you know i'm still learning a lot about code the boot camp you would learn like one language in one month so like you would start to pick it up towards the end of the month and then you go to another language so like the first month we were learning javascript and then we moved on to python and then soon as i started getting hang of python we moved to java soon as i started getting hang of java we moved back into JavaScript and React and like, I was like, damn, I forgot all the JavaScript stuff. Just know like if you, if you plan on uh, enrolling into a boot camp, that it's going to be pretty stressful, overwhelming, and it moves at a super fast pace. But again, if you have coding experience, it's probably going to be easy for you. It'll probably be a breeze. I went into the boot camp with no coding experience, except for like the code that I got to see in the back end at the startup company that I was working with. I think that's key what you just stated right there. For those that are interested in getting into software development, you can get in there without any knowledge. And it will be hard, of course, because it's new. But but I think if there are things you're working towards that are extremely hard, it will be rewarding. Anytime you're learning something completely new comes with stress, but you have to kind of look at, is it worth the rewards from that stress? And I think it is. And I think that's what you've been communicating that you've been learning a lot and you've been loving it. Well, again, with coding too, I mean, and being a creative person, coding is just like creating. You get to like create 
build and develop like your own mobile app, your web app. The other things that interest me is like machine learning and AI. I want to learn uh, facial recognitions with camera. I, I bought a Raspberry Pi. For those of you who don't know what that is, that's like tech geek gadget. Like it's like a miniature computer. Um, so I bought that and I wanted to learn or I want to learn how to do facial recognitions with camera. I want to, <laughs> I was telling uh, you and Renson a joke about like, I wanted to be able to do facial recognition and guess what ethnicity that person is, which I think would be a pretty cool project. Or even just like having it recognize that person, getting their name and associate their name with their face. Again, that's one of the projects I plan on working on in the future. And that's pretty cool. So now that you're done with boot camp, what are your next steps? What's going on? Well, the next steps is to keep learning. Like actually what I did after the boot camp, purchased more online courses from Udemy. I just want to keep learning and I haven't got a full grasp of coding. What I'm trying to do is find the language that I truly love and just stick with it. Right now, it looks like it's going to be JavaScript and React, but I do enjoy Python and Django. Next steps after that is start looking for a job once I get a full grasp of everything. For those of you who's like looking into getting into software development, learning algorithms is important because it actually teaches you how to think and problem solve. So algorithms is a big thing. And that's actually pretty huge when it comes to uh, interview questions with companies while you're interviewing. And that's good advice for everyone getting into this and especially if they're new at it. So you're in this world of where you're creative and you're technical. So it's music and technology. What does that all mean? And how do you plan to kind of combine the two? A way of fusing it, like with the recording studio, another project <clears throat> that I wanted to get into or start to work on was a way for the artists in the vocal booth to trigger the recording themselves. What you want to do is be able to automate the process so it's a little bit more streamlined, a little bit more seamless. I could be in the studio with the artist, but they could actually be hit and recorded themselves. So if I was able to develop an app that reaches out to like Pro Tools API where the artist hits record, they're able to record themselves, stop, and then play back. That's the goal or the vision that I had with the app that I plan on developing. That way, like while they're recording themselves, I could be working on music myself or making beats. It's pretty cool, right? Because once you have some of those concepts down, you kind of do some baby steps and from the baby steps, you iterate and then you make it better. That way, smaller goals are achievable. Bigger goals will be much harder and people tend to give up um, sooner. So I think that's good that, hey, you know, as my first goal, I just want the artist to be able to do remote recording, stop, playback and go from there, right? Yeah, exactly. I don't know if that's a good thing or not, though, because I was... Just thinking right now, like, hey, if they're able to do that, then why do why would they want to book studio time? It's a great question, but I think that goes down to what you just stated, right? It's all about building relationships. And when you have that relationship, you have this sort of chemistry and comfort working with each other. I think if you know, if everyone can record themselves and which they can today with technology being so affordable and you can have your own home studio then everyone would just record by themselves. But there's still a percentage of people that would like to collaborate and work with someone instead. Right, right. Good point. Good point. There's other things that I want to try to like develop. And it's, it's already out there. But what I want to be able to do is like have the artists like work on music, record their music. And then, you know, even if they record it at a different studio, I want them to be able to like email it to us. 
and we master it or mix and master it. So what I wanted to do was like develop an app where retrieves the email of their, you know, their mixed song or whatever. And then I would throw it into a program that masters it in the way Renson, you know, his settings, whatever he does to make it sound beautiful. And then, you know, just email it back. I want to like be able to just make it again, seamless. The the workflow would be, we have an artist by the name of Selwyn. He records it at Redwall Studios or something, and he wants it to get mastered by us. All he would need to do is email it. Or even like if I created a website where they're able to upload it, and then in the back end, what it does is it gets downloaded, gets thrown into the mastering program. And then after it's mastered, it just emails it back automatically to sell you know, and now he has this song mastered. I think that's pretty cool because I think a lot of people definitely need help with some of the mixing and mastering. And if you guys are able to streamline that process, I think there would be a lot of interest um, from many artists. Oh, that was the word I was looking for is just automating everything. Thanks for, you know, kind of walking us through your experience in the whole music side of things as well as technology. Before we end this interview, can you please let everyone know how they can follow you and what kind of services you um, provide to artists out there? You can follow our Instagram at headnod, H-E-D-D-N-O-D-D. We provide recording, mixing, and mastering. And also, if you guys need beats, I'm a music producer myself and there's a bunch of other music producers that we work with. We're able to cater to whatever style you need. Let us know. Thanks, P. This has been extremely um, awesome to hear your side and your experience for music and technology and shows that anyone can learn something from scratch and a person doesn't have to be tied to a specific box. You can continue to explore different areas of interest. Just want to let people know like, hey, don't get caught up on what programming language is better or which soft DAW, like Pro Tools is not better than Logic. Logic is not better than Fruity Loops. Fruity Loops is not better than Ableton. I mean, it all comes down to you. Just find which one works with your workflow and, you know, which one satisfies your needs. Same thing with programming. Like, I don't think Java is better than Python. I don't think Python is better than JavaScript. I don't think JavaScript is better than Ruby. I mean, I'm just trying to find the right one that works for me. Find the things that work for you. Stick to it. Master it. Make love to it. Make it your best friend. There's always going to be like new technologies, new music equipment coming out. Do your research on it. See if it's something that interests you. And if it is, then go ahead and, and get it. Just try to avoid jumping into something because it's the latest and greatest. You know, I know I'm a victim. Them of, of it and like I purchased like the newest equipment and I find myself not I mean with that advice you'll save a lot of money thanks P I think that's really a good advice for everyone in music and the whole software development I think everyone sometimes overthinks things and they just can't start so I think that's valuable advice that you just provided cool thanks P um, appreciate your time and hope you have a good one you too thanks <laughs>